I want to preface. Just because I'm preaching from a computer does not mean I can help you with your computer problem. <laughs> I know how you older folks are. Scott, like, hey, can help me with all my problems. I'm not here to help you with that problem. <laughs> really actually ran out of prayer ink pretty much. Actually a long time ago, but I decided I was like, I'll just try for the computer today. So we've been, you remember the sermon series that we're doing? We're exploring uh, the interconnectedness of this book right here. The interconnectedness of the Bible. One of the common uh, interconnecting points of the Bible is this theme of death. Death. The earth is filled with it, right? Because of our sin and, and uh, God's entire purpose, as he states in this book, is saying, I'm going to destroy it. His cosmic purpose is to destroy death. That's the whole point of this book. In the Old Testament, I like how a man named Ray Comfort says it. He says, the Old Testament is God's promise to destroy death in the New Testament. Is, tells us how God did it. And so we need to understand the importance of that. We need to understand the importance of death in the Bible, and we need to understand the interconnectedness of the Bible, that it's one flowing narrative. It's one story. It's not multiple stories. It's one story. It's critical for doctrine, and it's critical for the way we live, so we have to understand it. And death is the hinging point of the Bible. Death is the hinging point of the gospel. It's the hinging point of our own lives. We need to understand that. So we'll be in Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 14. One of the coolest passages in the Bible, probably one of the best passages in the Bible. It has so many implications. It's the Valley of Dry Bones. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me among them, and behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, there was this rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was still no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, and then you shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken, that I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Speak to me by your spirit. If anything I say is not of you, let it not be said, and let it fall on deaf ears. We recognize your word as authority, and we recognize the power of the word of God in our lives. And we recognize that you bring to life things that are dead. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I grew up with my grandparents quite a bit. I used to escape the house because my older brothers would torture me. And I'd go to grandma's and grandpa's and I'd spend all day there, especially in the summers, day after day, pretty much seven days a week. And you know the thing about spending time at grandma and grandpa's house, at my age, we watched a lot of westerns. We lost a lot of westerns. We watched a lot of Marshall Dillon. We watched a lot of Bonanza. <laughs> Around noontime, or little in the afternoon, Little House on the Prairie, the Waltons, and then, which is not a western, but old TV show nonetheless. And then we'd, Around 7 p.m., this TV show would come on. Does anybody, please tell me, I, I, I recognize the, the age demographic in here. Please tell me you know what this show is. You know, hit it out of the park, baby. Good. Oh, I did good. I did so good. This, this would roll around about 7 o'clock, right around or right after dinner. It's called Beth Valley Days, and it's an old Western series, and it kind of explores the stories of the old West. The Old West, the Wild West was a place of societal disorder, gunfight, pioneering, a lot of cool stories. You may recognize some of the old hosts, Stanley Andrews, or even Ronald Reagan actually hosted the show. Uh, Robert Taylor, and then the reruns were narrated by Merle Haggard, the great country singer. The early seasons of the show focused on actual stories and folklore of Death Valley, California. A lot of stories come out of there. If you know anything about Death Valley, California, it's the hottest place on earth. It has the hottest recorded temperature on earth, and you got to go ahead and imagine that nothing can survive there. That's sort of true. Very little wildlife and very little plant life can survive there. And so even if you go there, you will find lots of dead things in there, lots of dead bones, lots of dry bones. You don't think anything can survive out there. And today, kind of similarly, I want to look at another death valley. I want to look at another place of disorder, another almost wild west scene except there's no high noon gunfights, unfortunately. <laughs> but it, it's a place where nothing lives, and it's a place no different from any other desert. And it's more full of death than anywhere else. It's a valley that's unsavable, it's unredeemable, that's unsurvivable, with bones that are just that, they're bones. They're dead things. Dead things fill this valley. And that's what we find in Ezekiel 37. So I can't go into Ezekiel 37. I can't just go ahead. Like I said, this is an interconnected book, but I knowing that I can't just go and pick a passage out of a chapter out of a random book in the Bible. So I need to explain to you the context of this so that you understand the interconnectedness of this book. So the setting is, is this is before and during the Babylonian invasion. So Ezekiel, what Ezekiel has is he has this first eyewitness account of the Babylonian invasion and exile. Do you know what the Babylonian invasion and exile was? It was the judgment of God upon his people, and it was also the judgment of God upon other nations. And so the reason this is for is because Israel had broken the covenant. They had abandoned God. We looked two weeks ago at Exodus 19, and we looked at how God gave the people the purpose and the mission, really the original great commission. He gave them the Ten Commandments. And both times when he gave them both those things, the people said, we will do just as the Lord has commanded. Judgment comes because the people did not do just as the Lord had commanded. In fact, they fell into idolatry. They fell into rebellion against God. God wasn't enough for them. God wasn't enough fulfillment for them. And God is just. And so God does as he uses a foreign nation, a foreign empire to judge his people. Almost to make them learn a lesson in a way. It's, it's, it's discipline in a way. And the first half of Ezekiel details that judgment. And the second half actually goes from the bad news to the good news. God says, I'm going to judge the people, 
But good news is, is I'm going to redeem them in a certain way. It's an incredible foretaste of things that come in the New Testament, actually. God says, I'm going to bring the people back into one kingdom, under one king, with one temple, in a new heavens and a new earth. That is the central message of Ezekiel, is that God is going to restore what is dead, and he's going to make it alive forever. And that's the entire mission of the Bible. That's why I'm going to go ahead and give you the conclusion of my sermon at the beginning of the sermon. The conclusion is this, is that God makes dead things alive again. That's the message of the Bible. God makes dead things alive again. So I'm going to kind of go into this, like I said, I'm not going to end the sermon right there. You give me, I'm going to have my time, you know. <laughs> but I'm going to give this passage a little bit more. And I think the Valley of Dry Bones is really, uh, I don't want to say it's the climax of Ezekiel, but it's an important passage. And I think it's a perfect way to sum up the book of Ezekiel. Because uh, we have the dead nation of Israel. God's people are dead. The point is, God's people are dead. And and it's not that these people are buried. Their dry bones are left upon the surface of the ground. And if you know anything about Jewish culture at the time, Jewish society, it was a disgrace to not have your body buried. Because it would be left out to the elements for rotten animals, for scavengers to pick and pluck meat off your body until you were not. Dry bones. But if you found dry human skeletons around, you'd be pretty freaked out too. It, it's dishonorable. It's not a good thing. And so the clear point is not only is God's people dead, they're dishonored. There's no honor about this. They're lifeless. Everything's dry. It's barren. It's dark. There's no hope. Which is the amazing thing is that when God I made this point before is that Ezekiel was placed in the graveyard in this vision. In the vision of the valley of dry bones. God is saying, is moving towards the good news part of Ezekiel, but he says in order to make you understand the good news, I have to go to a place that's the opposite of hope. That's the opposite of life. And so he places Ezekiel in the exact opposite place, in a valley full of dry bones, in this vision. But if we've learned anything from the Bible, from this book, like we read first week in Genesis 3, next week we read Genesis 6, and then next week we read through Exodus 19, is that God really likes to help us see the good news in the middle of a graveyard. That's what I said in Genesis 3. It's the same thing in Ezekiel 37. The good news is always in a graveyard. And so God asked Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Take yourself out of your Christian perspective. Bring the Jewish perspective to who they knew as the resurrection and coming. You would think you're out of your mind. You cannot make something that is dry bones live again. You, it's hard enough to make something that's been dead for three minutes live again, but something dead that that's been dead for 300 years is a whole lot harder. That's impossible. It's an impossibility. It's, it's impossible apart from God. And not only, they're not like rotting corpses. These are dry bones that are probably on the verge of disintegrating into ash. Like, these have been dead a long time. And so what's the man of God say, though? What does Ezekiel say? He's got faith in God. What does he say? He says, Oh Lord, you know. In other words, he says, Lord, I don't know how, but I do know who. I don't know how, but I do know who. Oh, Lord, you know. That's faith and uncertainty. The man of God has hope in the face of death. That's trusting in God. And it's foolish. It looks foolish. It's foolish to think that God can make dry bones so that he can put flesh on them and he can put a spirit in them. That's impossible. First Corinthians one twenty seven actually kind of hints at how God works. He likes to use things that are humble. He likes to use things that are poor and dead to make his power so great. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 1 says, God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. That God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chooses what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring things that are. We can go to the next slide. But God says, preach to the bones. As foolish as it is, preach, prophesy to the bones. That's what prophesy means. It means to preach. Speak to the dead, proclaim life into them. Verses 4 through 6, that's what happens. He says, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will, I will cause flesh to come upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. God uses Ezekiel to do this. But is the power, is the power in Ezekiel? Uh, power is not as Ezekiel. What is the power in, though? The power is in God, but specifically, the power is in the Word of God. The power is in the Word of God. And I'm not necessarily talking about this book. This book does contain the Word of God. This is God's full written everything we need to know. Everything we need is right here. But I want you to understand more about what the Word of God is. What the Word of God is, is spoken revelation from God to mankind. Whatever God speaks to you, to the human race, that's the Word of God. And the Word of God. It's cosmic, it is life-starting, it's life-changing, it's life-sustaining. It's simply what he speaks. It's whatever God testifies to, it's whatever God promises, it's whatever God, it's whatever God commands, his promises. Whatever he says that is directed towards man from his mouth gives life. Think about the creation account. God formed man out of the dust. Was he living yet? He formed a body. He wasn't. Formed until by the word of God, he breathed life into Adam. And it's kind of similar in a way to this account right here, that the word of God proves that, yes, even dead things can regain their flesh and receive God's own breath. But unlike Adam, God is not recreating life. He's not creating life here. He's simply restoring it. He's replenishing it to mankind. That's, the, that's, that's what Ezekiel is saying here. That's what Ezekiel was recounting. And Ezekiel, all Ezekiel is, is a simple vessel for God's word. And he preaches as commanded. Verse 7 it says. And I prophesied there was a sound. And behold this rattle. And the bones came together. Bone to its bone. And I looked and behold there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. So the flesh comes. The bodies regain the physical form. Okay. This must, <laughs> this must have looked freaky. These are a bunch of dry bones. Turned into zombies. Turned into humans. I don't know what that looks like particularly. But it must have been astounding. But piece by piece. Rattle by rattle, God makes resurrection happen. And then God says, breathe on these slain, and it happens. And God's declaration is, only by my power and only by my breath can the dead be raised. The only way, my word, my promises, my hands, my feet, and it's all to my glory. And this is the God, this is the climactic truth of God's word. That regeneration and resurrection happen only out of God's coordination and his power, not our own. But there's still no breath. Verses 9 through 10, it says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds and breathe on these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied just as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Notice the change of direction. You did see this, because I didn't see this the first time until I looked at the commentary about it. Ezekiel actually goes from preaching to something else. You may not see it. Ezekiel actually goes from preaching to praying. 
How do I know this? Let's see if I can get back to my notes here. Ezekiel goes from preaching uh, to praying. It says prophesy to the breath, but it says to the breath. Do you know what the word for breath in Hebrew is? It's wind or spirit. He's calling upon God. He's praying to God to fill these people with life. That's the change of direction. Instead of looking down at the dry bones, he's looking up to God and saying, put the breath in these dry bones. And that's exactly what we should do as God's children. Ezekiel, that's a bold thing to say. God, it's, it's not like I'm commanding God, but I'm pleading before God that that boldness to say, God, come and fill these dry bones with life. Put your breath in them. Put the indwelling of your Holy Spirit in them. Because dry bones turned flesh are still dead if there's no spirit in them. You have to have the Spirit of God in you to be alive. From Adam to us, that's just how it's been. And that life enters not just by preaching, but by praying and calling upon God himself to deliver on his promises. It's bold, but it's necessary. It's saying, God, come and possess these dead people with your Holy Spirit, because only then can they have life. That's Ezekiel 37. And in this vision, what goes on in verses 11 through 14, the dead are raised. The dead are raised just like Ezekiel prophesied for it to happen. The bones are revealed to be the nation of Israel, that they're dead and brought back to life. And God promises in the text to bring them all together in the land. And even though all hope is lost, the power of the word of God is sufficient to restore what is lost and restore what is broken to restore what is dead. So that's kind of detailing the text. I kind of want to move into an interpretation. You can't look at prophecy without looking at interpretations of prophecy. So we're kind of shifting gears, but we'll shift gears back, I promise. There's Probably three main interpretations of this text in regards to prophecy. Two of them I think are totally false, and one of them I think is totally true. The first interpretation of this prophecy is that this is the return of Israel back into the land at the end of the 70-year exile that's talked about in Ezekiel. However, if you read the rest of this chapter, in verse the, the remainder of the chapter, God actually promises that this is an everlasting kingdom and that he gives them an everlasting king. What happens to the Jews when they come back to the land? They regain their kingdom. They're still split apart, though. And actually, the Persian Empire comes and conquers them. And then after that, the Roman Empire comes and conquers them. So, be bucked, because God says, in this prophecy, it's everlasting, does not end. The second one is actually something a majority of Christians believe today, but I do not think it is true. A lot of people think this is talking about the national restoration of the Jews into a sovereign nation. And many think this was fulfilled back in 1948 after World War II when the Israel, many Israelites returned back to the Holy Land. And it's very popular among people called premillennialists or, or dispensationalists, and I do not agree with them on this. I want to be real. This is a pro prophetic vision. This is not necessarily a total historical account. And also note that that view, that view that this is a national restoration of Israel going on, that happens on many people within the last 70 years or so, that's a really brand new view, if you look at it. That pre-millennial view, same as the rapture, same as all that, was created in the past 200 years. That's a new view. I'm going to tell you what the gospel and the Bible supports. I'm going to tell you the view that the gospel and the Bible supports and what Ezekiel supports. That this is not national restoration of a just Hebrew nation, of just Jews. That's false. That's actually the opposite of the gospel. This is an international universal restoration. I don't mean universal as in every person saying. I mean universal is that there is a person from every single group on earth 
that is brought into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a descendant of Abraham, or if you're a Gentile. Those who, by faith in God, are included in the kingdom of God. Ezekiel 37, the dead are raised to be long in the kingdom of God, the New Testament kingdom of God. Not some single Hebrew nation that's just Jews. Not some sovereign nation held back by political boundaries or by one race, by one creed, by one ethnicity, or one tradition. It's the opposite. The only one thing about it is that there is one Lord over this kingdom and that there is only one kingdom with one Lord. But back to the main thing, you as the first century church in the 21st century, this text is simple. Here's what you need to know. I said it earlier, God makes dead things alive again. That's the gospel. That gospel is that God makes dead things alive again. He did it with his son, and the gospel is that he does it with us too. You go from death, you go to life, you go from darkness to light, just like we did with Christ. You go from crucifixion, you go to resurrection, you go from the grave to grace, you go from the tomb to triumph. Dead to life. Death to life. That's the whole point. And the truth is, that may be you. You may have experienced that. You may be brought back from death to life. But the problem is, is that we still live in a world full of dry bones, don't we? War, famine, disease, are those things right? Is that how God wants it to be still? No, those things are still to be defeated, totally, and triumphed over. And I said earlier that the central message of Ezekiel is that God is taking what is dead and making it alive forever. He takes individual souls and makes them alive. He takes an entire kingdom and makes them alive. And he takes the entire whole earth and makes it alive. And that's the central message of the Bible. But yet this earth is still filled with the walking dead. Walking dead people who think they're alive, but they're not. It's not quite right yet. We're still waiting on everything to be totally put into balance, as it was in the beginning. We still live in these death valley days. This wild west, that's what we live in. And you can just as easily come to the conclusion, or not to the conclusion, you can come to the question that God asks Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? God, why isn't everything fixed yet? Can you make these dry bones live? Can man be redeemed? Can the church be revived? And can the world be restored? So that's what we're going to close on. We're going to look at those three things. Can man be redeemed? Can the church be revived? And can the world be restored? So the first question is, can man be redeemed? From dry bones to living flesh. We've already talked about this a little bit. You know, it's best to understand the answer based upon what the valley of dry bones does represent. And we talked about this, that the valley actually represents for man a condition, a state of being, a standing before God, who you are before God. You are as dry bones. You are as good as dead before God in and of yourself. It's symbolizing both your earthly deathliness and your eternal deathliness. Uh, even though deathliness is word, but your eternal deathliness, the eternal consequences of your condition. I mean, what do you think the dry bones in the valley of death means? It's a picture of what humanity is before God. It's a picture of what the earth is before God. It's a valley of dry bones. It's a place that's full of dead people. For Jew and Gentile, it's no different. People of all different nations, races, languages, it's no different. They're all dead without life. Why? Because you abandoned God. You suppress your conscience when you know what is wrong and you know what is right. You choose to do wrong. You forsake the covenant. You broke the law. You made yourself a God of your life. You look for life in the wrong places at the wrong times and the wrong things. You don't think that's you. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 says otherwise. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of our deadness, or the, or the wages for our sin is death. That's what happens. We're dry bones because we sin, because we chase our own desires. You know what it kind of looks like? You know, you really don't want to know what sin is. You really want to know what pride is. You really want to know what idolatry is. You really want to know what abandoning God is. It's finding life in other things that are not God. That's what it is. That's ultimately what it is. Because without the life that comes directly from God, you are dry bones. Because there really is no life apart from God. And like Israel, you can search for satisfaction in all kinds of things. You can search for things that make you feel like life is good and all sorts of things. Money, drugs, fame, power, whatever it is. It could be a career. It could be a university that you go to. It could even be a person. It could be your own family that you're trying to find life in. It could be your friends that you're trying to find life in. Israel found it in false gods. Israel found it in themselves. And you can convince yourself like Israel, well, I follow the law of God. I love God. You can convince yourself that you're a good person. But in reality, all you will be is a dead man apart from the life that God has to give. And the Bible says that that death will be your eternity. But God, right? Say it all the time. But God. Valley of dry bones. But God. Let me finish those verses for you. Those verses are bad news, good news verses. The two in one package. The end of Ephesians 2 verses 3 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he had for us, says that even while we were dead, even while we were dry bones in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and says, By grace you have been saved. Not by following the law, but by grace you have been saved. Romans 3, 24 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Look around, think for most Christians. You have to decide for yourself. You have to look and examine yourself to know if you're a Christian. I'm going to take it at face value say that we're all Christians, that we all have taken this free gift, that we all have staked our life upon the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there are plenty of people in this world who are still walking around searching for life and other things that aren't the God of the Bible and who aren't getting their life's power from the Word of God. An unbelieving wayward grandchildren for me, my own parents, I have friends who are not Christian, and they're searching for life in things that will never fulfill or satisfy them. They're searching for life, and they're searching for life in wrong places, and all they're going to do is end up walking off a cliff into eternal hell. And it makes me think, can God work the miracle to raise dry bones from nothing? And it makes me think, I don't know how, but I know who, right? I don't know how, but I do know who, and I know he can do it with anybody. So if you're a Christian, but you're worried about someone else, you're asking, can you make these dry bones come to life, God? He did it with you, right? Like you can do it with anybody. The power of the word of God 
to give dry bones a new flesh and a new heart and a new life. Second, can the church be revived from dry bones to a living army? Another problem I see in the church today is it looks mostly in this country. In the rest of the world, I see the church on fire, especially for the persecuted, which is really strange. But here, I really see a lot of lacking. I see a lot of lack of life in the church. I'm not talking numbers. I'm talking about when we're walking out the doors, are we going and doing? We're going and doing what our Lord told us to do. And I'll go into that and I'll say, because this is a problem, this is a problem that is a reason for that, is that we often think the church is a group of saved individuals rather than thinking that people are saved into an army. You are saved into a church. You're not saved by yourself. You are saved with everybody else. You are one. One universal collective body of interconnected people with one mission. What are you interconnected by? By the mission itself. By the word of God. That's what you're connected by. And God says, you want to see revival? Deliver this word to people. Preach God. Preach life and the spirit to the rest of the world. Just as Ezekiel did. Preach and pray. Prophesy and pray to dry bones and watch things come to life. Do it in your church. Do it outside the church. Verse 10 says, I prophesied and commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. You know, the only thing that brings life to an army is the commanding. The only thing that brings life to an army of God is God himself. It's one army. It's one force of change. We have one spirit. And as the New Testament says, with one hope, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father. You want to know how an army can be raised? You want to know how the church can be revived? Why don't you look at Peter at Pentecost when the church started, the original revival. We all talk about looking for revival nowadays. You want to know how it happens? Why don't you look at the text and see what it says? Acts chapter 2, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God do through, did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. Says this Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by. That's the message. That's a revival message. You want to see revival happen? You want to see the church get on fire for God? You want to see people flooding into your church? First, trust in the word of God. Preach and pray. And the message we preach is the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord. It's nothing else. We don't cater to people's sensitivities. We just do it. Of course we love in that, but we just do it. You want to know what happens, though? You want to know what happens in Acts chapter 2? You think all the people like the message that Peter said? Of course not. But it does say that 3,000 of them were raised into an army. 3,000 dead people, dry bones, were raised into an army. You want to happen to that army? That army went and conquered the entire Roman Empire within a course of 200 years. Two to 300 years. Preach revival and pray for it wherever you go and watch dry bones become an army. Third, wind on this. Said the whole mission of God is to restore the world back to what it was in the beginning. That's actually how the Bible starts. Everything was good. It was very good. You want to know how the Bible ends? It's very good again. The whole focus of flipping throughout the Bible, like we've been doing, is to see how death interconnects practically every single page of this book. Every single page. Death is reality. 
But the truth is that while death is a law, it's a law of nature, and while death is reality, God says, I am going to undo that. I'm going to undo that law of death. And God promises to bring you back to life. He promises to bring his people back to life. But he says, I'm going to bring the world back to, the, to life. I'm not talking the world as in people. He's going to do that. I'm talking about the creation itself. I'm talking about existence. The chapter before, in Ezekiel 36, in verses 33 through 36, is where God promises the new heart and the new spirit. But then he says this. He says, Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate, desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land, the land of dry bones, that was desolate has the Garden of Eden. Hmm. And the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord, that I have rebuilt the ruined places. I have replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Is that not incredible? Ezekiel 36 and 37 are synonymous with Revelation 21 and 22. You can't make this book up. Authored by the Holy Spirit. It's true. It's infallible. It's inerrant. And it tells us the God, the life-giving message that God makes dead things alive again. The earth is a graveyard. You know what the Word of God says? It says, not for long. Not for long. You just wait. You want to know how? Because the one who gave up his life 2,000 years ago to give us life now promises that he will come again to give life to the entire creation. That's what happens at the second coming. That the land of death is going to be restored back into the land of the living. That which was once dead will be alive again. And as Ezekiel, another chapter in Ezekiel says that God's dwelling place will be with man again. There will be one temple. There will be one city. There will be one nation. There will be all together man dwelling with God again. So, can man be redeemed? Yep. Can the church be revived? Yep. Can the world be restored? Yep. Thank you. Can these dry bones live? What does Ezekiel say? Lord, you know. Oh, Lord, you know. And a lot of that is saying, I don't know the details, but I do know who. And I know the power of Christ and his resurrection in my own life, and I've seen it in the church. I know the power of the Holy Spirit is real. The power of the Word of God is real. That God does make dead things alive again. Verse 14 says, I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. And I'll end with an old hymn about this same passage. And I did Philip Doddridge, an old English hymnist. And I, I just think that's the best way to end the sermon. Because it's so poetic. But it says, look down, O Lord, with pitying God. See Adam's race and ruin lie. Sin has spread its trophies over the ground and scattered slaughtered heaps around. And can these moldering corpses live? And can these perished bones revive? That mighty God to thee is known. That wondrous work is all thine own. God makes dead things alive again. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word that reveals your truth and which reveals your mission and purpose that you have given us. We, Lord, we know that you can raise a dead man to life. That Christ was raised. And that if we believe upon Christ in his physical resurrection, we will be raised to both spiritual life on earth and physical life for eternity. And we know, Lord, that you can restore and revive your church. And we know, Lord, that you will restore 
this earth, as you say, behold, I'm making all things new. When we anticipate a new heaven and a new earth, where we shall be born again, Lord. Thank you for taking the dry bones in our lives and giving us a heart, flesh, and a right spirit. Lord, we pray this all through our Father. Pray all thanks and in the name of Jesus. We pray it with the help of your Holy Spirit who cries out to us for things we do not know how to say and for things that we forget to say. Amen.